Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is an outdoor adventure athlete and author of a new book called Wild at Heart. Her name is Stacy Gold, and she joins me by phone. Good morning, Stacy. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Now, when I first read this next comment, um, it, and it talks about how in your book you share how you came back from multiple injuries and kayaked 226 miles in the Grand Canyon in 12 and a half days. That sounds like a lot, is it? It is a lot, though there are people who who have done it faster. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It was an average of about 21 miles a day of paddling and I think our longest day was 28 miles and um yeah especially coming back from a lot of injuries it was more than enough <laughs> well yeah I was wondering about that because it seems like um I, I remember taking a bike hike and now this is many 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 years ago and um it wasn't so far back that they were the bikes with the real big wheels in the front but <laughs> um, but but it was quite a while ago, and I remember um, riding my 10-speed up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and I think the distance we went was three or 400 miles, and we did that in three or four days. We, we did something like 100 miles a day going from state yeah. park to state park, and it is not something I'd want to do at my age now, but <laughs> but it seemed like a fairly manageable distance, and it made me wonder when you're when you're kayaking, how much of it is you putting effort into you know uh, 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 traversing distance, and how much of it is just the river carrying you that way? Well, on the Grand Canyon. The first half of the river or so, it's a lot of you paddling to move your boat. Um, there are some sections that have white water, so there's some gradient through there, and, and you move a bit faster. But the first half of the river is known for being pretty slow, and one of the slightly over 20-mile days, if I remember, was entirely flat water and a lot of really swirly water because it's so deep. 
And those swirls just want to pull you to the left and the right and turn your boat around. And the boats we were using have a, what are called drop skegs. So it's a little fin that you can either lift or lower on the back of your boat to help keep you tracking straight through that stuff. Um, and it helps a lot, but there's a lot of fighting the water. In the second half of the river, the gradient is more consistent. And boy, we, I mean, the first half of the river, it felt like every day we were on the water until four o'clock in the afternoon. And this was in November. So it was pitch black at four thirty. Um, you know, and we were getting pretty early <laughs> starts in the morning. And so it, we were just chasing the sun all day and paddling our arms off. And then the second half of the river and my friend who had the permit for the Grand Canyon and had done it number a number of times and said, oh, well, we'll make up loads of miles on the second half. It'll be so fast. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. You're just telling me this. I know how this is going to go. But in, in all actuality, the second half of the river moved surprisingly swiftly. And we paddled for about four hours and we're off the water between 1230 and 1:30 every day. And that's, you know, plenty of time to have a nice lunch out in the sun on the beach and go for a hike and uh, not be rushed at all. So really depends what section you're on. Uh, there was definitely, though, those first few days I was thinking, oh, this might have been a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I hadn't really thought about that because most of the places that I look at rivers, there's a pretty healthy current going on. And it right. hadn't really occurred to me that in in some of the larger rivers there are big areas that are where it's fairly still water yes and that had not really occurred to me either tom <laughs> this, was, this is my first trip down the grand canyon and this is something i've been trying to go down the grand canyon for more than 30 years it's i think probably on every whitewater kayaker and whitewater rafters you know life list of things to do um but for a variety of reasons, I was never able to take advantage of any of the opportunities. And in fact, was supposed to do almost this identical trip with the same folks five years earlier and blew out my shoulder. Um, so my husband and I were both coming off of some pretty severe injuries when we got the invitation for this trip. And I just took it. I was like, okay, we've got about four and a half, five months to get in shape. We can do this, right? <laughs> So, yes, discovering that I was not only paddling 20 to 22 miles a day on average, but that there were a few days that were almost entirely flat water was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> well, I, you know, I mentioned in the introduction a phrase that's uh, used to describe you, adventure sports athlete. Is yeah. kayaking your adventure sport of choice? Uh, you know, it depends on the season. Um, ah. In the summer when the water is running, kayaking is my sport of choice as the water you know goes away towards later in the summer or before we start getting the snow melt then I'm a mountain biker and uh in the winter I'm a skier I ski at the resorts alpine I telemark ski I backcountry ski I cross-country ski um and then I fill in with a little bit of hiking and road biking around the edges <laughs> In my notes, I, ha I have it suggested to ask you about getting and staying fit enough for serious adventures over the age of 50. Um, is, yeah. there, is there a special 
regiment that that people should follow a special diet a certain amount of uh, exercise if they're going to tackle things like uh, hiking and biking and kayaking well you know i think it it of course all depends on the person i mean i i certainly can't say specifically what anybody else's body needs i know that for myself and for my husband who is just approaching the 50 mark though i have i have gone over the edge a while back now um eating what what we eat is always very important um we're really healthy eaters i do most of the cooking um we're uh pescatarians so we do eat some fish we eat some cheese and eggs but we're mostly vegetarian uh, and i do uh, cook from scratch all the time and in fact i made our meals for the grand canyon from scratch and dehydrated them myself just so that it wouldn't like i wouldn't all of a sudden be eating a bunch of really salty or processed meals that would mess with my digestion and make me feel not great um so that is a piece of it but the biggest thing other than having to do a lot of physical therapy to get my injuries into a better spot, I started working with a personal trainer and I can't really afford like to go once a week or a couple times a week to a personal trainer. So what I do is I go see him every three weeks and then in between I work out and I had been working out for a few years, but I had been doing maybe one to two uh, days a week of lifting weights and in prep for the Grand Canyon I bumped that up to three to four days a week, and that made a tremendous difference. And for that trip also, I was doing exercises training very specifically, not just for the paddling itself, um, which is a huge part of it, but on a trip like that, you're carrying all your gear in your own kayak. So my boat weighed an easy 150 pounds. And so it's a lot more to paddle. And then you've got to drag that thing up on the beach. You have to unload 100 pounds of gear and then load it back in again in the, ne the next morning. Uh, so it's a very physical trip, to be sure. Um, and I have certainly, you know, in my 20s and 30s, I have just, you know, hop off the couch and go climb Mount Rainier or, or whatever and then just be really sore after, but okay. Um, but nowadays I find that for me to be, fit enough to feel confident, to feel safe, to have fun and not just be in crippling pain afterwards. <laughs> um, bumping it up to, to a minimum of three workouts a week has made a huge difference. There's, I, I don't know why, but for some reason, I, I'm, I'm just amused by the fact that you have a trainer that gives homework. I know. Isn't it great? <laughs> it's kind but of a it's cool the deal thing. I set up with him and, and I'm a I'm a good student. I do my homework. <laughs> now I mentioned that you and you've mentioned it a couple times, come back from multiple injuries. What kind of injuries are we talking about, Stacy, and, and how did you get them? <laughs> well, let's see. Um my right knee, I've had to have uh, my meniscus trimmed twice. I also blew my MCL all but almost all the way through, so they would not operate on it. I was just stuck on crutches for a long time. Um, the knees I've done in various ways. The worst knee injury was definitely done skiing. Um, I've also been a dancer for a lot of years, so I blew out all the cartilage in my big toe. Uh, in ballet a few years ago, and so I had to have surgery on that foot, um, and I had a bunionectomy while they were 
while they were doing it. Then uh, I blew my right shoulder out mountain biking and ruptured two of my um, ro- uh, rotator cuffs off the uh, bone. So from, I had from strain or from falls. Uh, I missed the landing on a jump and basically just catapulted myself into the earth right on my shoulder. And uh, unfortunately, I had it operated on and then had a bad recovery. It took me about five years to get it back. And then at the start of COVID, my husband and I were on our tandem bike doing a gravel ride and hit some really uh, rough road where they had not uh, scraped the bumps off in quite some time and I ended up landing on my left shoulder getting a concussion and uh, I don't know exactly what all I did to that one because it was early in COVID when we were all locked down and they were telling us all not to go to the hospital so um, I've, I actually did the Grand Canyon with this left shoulder still not 100% but it's getting close now and it was good enough and that's what matters um, so yes I've had lots and my husband had a, a couple bulging discs prior to, and I also had um, some very severe SI joint dysfunction and had a really bad episode with that. That was the thing I was really, like, hard trying to recover from for the trip. Um, because for those who don't know, your SI is your, your sacroiliac, and it's in your pelvic girdle, in your, in your hips, and it's a tiny little joint that uh, doesn't move on most people hardly at all. Uh, unless they are pregnant and having babies, which I was not. But for whatever reason, mine is quite hypermobile, and when it goes out, it pinches a nerve and creates some really horrifying sciatica. So um, I had quite a a lot of injuries (laughs) that I was uh, recovering from, and and that's actually a whitewater kayaking-related issue that I've been dealing with for about 20 years and finally got resolved um, in the last year. So... All, all kinds of stuff. I have uh, overuse issues to my hands from being a whitewater raft guide and then being on a keyboard too much. So I really wondered, but uh, my friend who had the permit for the trip, he said, you're going to think when we push off of shore at the put-in, what the hell have I gotten myself into? And the first couple <laughs> days, right? And he was right. <laughs> and the first couple days, he's like, the first couple days are going to seem insane. And then by day three, you'll start to settle into the groove, and it'll be fine. And and that was pretty accurate. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, Stacy. I have to take a short break here, but I want to talk to you some more about the book and about some of your adventures. Uh, can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Absolutely. Happy to. My guest is Stacy Gold, uh, outdoor adventure athlete and author of Wild at Heart. If you're listening to us uh, on uh, WFOVLP, our voice is Radio 92.1 FM Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We're going to talk about some more outdoor adventures. And what a great time to be talking about some of these things as summer is upon us. But uh, as soon as we come back from break, we'll um, 
We'll have more with Stacy Gold, and we'll talk Hello, about Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with outdoor adventure athlete and author of Wild at Heart, Stacy Gold, who joins me by phone. Stacy, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no problem at all, Tom. I'm happy to be here. Um, we were talking a little bit about being in shape and, and some of the various adventures, kayaking and uh, biking and, and so on, um, in the last segment. And, and I wanted to um, ask if you were slowed down at all by the uh, by the pandemic and the various lockdowns and quarantines or because most of your activities are outdoors were you able to continue uh, you know we were actually really lucky because most of our activities are outdoors and uh, because I'm lucky enough to live in Boulder Colorado where I can do most of my activities very close to home uh, we were pretty much able to keep going. I mean, a lot of the ski resorts closed down, and of course, early on, they were asking us all not to, you know, drive great distances because we didn't need car wrecks adding to the, you know, loads on the hospitals. Um, but now, pretty much, just uh, kept doing everything right, right through the the pandemic. Just changed how I did it a little bit. I thought maybe uh, being slowed up or or locked down for some period of time is uh, what led to writing the book. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you're very close, um, but what led to writing the book was uh, blowing out my shoulder. Oh, really? Yeah, I was, uh, I was stuck. I had about a six-month wait before I could have surgery. I had gotten frozen shoulder and was having to go through a bunch of PT. Um, and I was bored on the weekends because normally my husband and I do all these sports together. We actually met whitewater kayaking. And so he was heading off with all our friends to go play in the mountains every weekend. And I was stuck at home. And I got an idea for a story. And initially, I just thought, you know, I'm going to do this to entertain myself. I'm just going to write a book because it'll be fun. I've, I've been a nonfiction writer for most of my life. And I've, I've written for magazines and mostly outdoor magazines, and uh, was a copywriter for a long time writing marketing materials for businesses. So writing's kind of in my wheelhouse, and I thought, oh, well, this will be a fun and entertaining thing to do. I'll write a book. And uh, about halfway through, I decided that's really what I wanted to be doing with my life right now. Did you experience the same thing as uh, kayaking in the Grand Canyon at the very beginning, thinking, what did I get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I didn't think that until I decided to actually try to make a career of it and finished writing the first book and realized it was horrible. I mean, just so bad and had to start on the path of really learning to write fiction because, you know, I was a good writer. I'd been a professional writer. I knew how to tell a story. I knew how to write a good sentence. But I had never written fiction. So I had, I mean, most of my writing was at most 16 pages long as a nonfiction writer. And all of a sudden I'm doing it, you know, 350 pages and character arcs and plot arcs and uh, dialogue and, and all these things. And so there was a point when I started really trying to learn how to do it right. 
that I definitely had that thought of, oh, what have I gotten myself into here? <laughs> so this is actually, um, the book Wild at Heart is a novel. And it's, um, how, how much of it is fiction and how much of it is, dare I ask, memoir? Uh, it's, it's pretty <laughs> much all fiction. Um, but there are pieces of my life in there. There are pieces of people I've met along the way, friends, family, countrymen, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, for example, I myself have hiked or backpacked almost all of the trail miles that the characters cover in the book. There's a few little gaps here and there uh, that I've never done, but I lived in the Seattle area for 15 years, and this is set on the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, so, you know, from that perspective, the actual environment that they're in, I've been there. I've, I've walked those miles. Um, you know, when I, when I write, my, my background in school was actually in environmental education and resource management. And I spent a number of years working for the Forest Service uh, as a backcountry ranger and a naturalist. So there's definitely a part of my writing that comes from my naturalist side that is the exploration of the natural world and the setting that they're in. Um, and I work really hard to almost make the setting a character in the book that has impact. And so those things, you know, I, I sit back when I'm describing setting and close my eyes and remember being there myself and use those memories to inform what I put on the page. But the interactions between the characters, the relationships, the characters themselves, they are all made up, though there may be bits and pieces from my life and the lives of people around me that I, get woven in. I just thought I saw a couple of... Uh encounters that sounded a little familiar <laughs> <laughs> that's what my husband says when he reads these too <laughs> so you you have the bug you you want to do more writing what's what's next uh next up i'm actually uh right now editing book two in this series oh it's going to be a series I it is. It's going to be a series of three. Uh, the way that I structure it um, is that uh, central to each of these books are three girlfriends uh, that are best friends. And so each book is their story of how they come to find uh, love and a partner in life. So you meet all three women in all three books, but one book is devoted to one, the next to the other, and yeah. so on and so forth. Did you start the first book with that in mind, or did you get to the end and go, oh, wait a minute, i got to tell these other two girls' stories? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this time I started it with that in mind. I, I also have three novellas uh, that published a few years ago with the Wild Rose Press that are ski romances. And when I wrote the first one, I did not write it with the thought of doing the same thing, but discovered as I was writing it that, oh, I should totally write book two with this character and book three with that character. And I, it's, it's fairly common in romance to do this. So I, I find that, that interesting because I've asked a lot of writers of, of uh, sequential books um, that, that write, series it may have 
one long series or several shorter series. And and I'm always curious if they get to the end of the first book and think, but wait, there's more. <laughs> well, I definitely think a lot of authors do. Um, but because I am writing romance, though it's a little bit different um, than what a lot of people have seen in romance, it uh, it has to come to a good, succinct, either a happily ever after or a happily for now ending at the end of the book for the main characters. So the story changes for each character, but there is overlap because all of the characters are featured in all of the books. As I mentioned, this is a fairly common thing to do in romance. If you're at all familiar with the Bridgerton series on Netflix right now, um, which is huge, Initially, people were really upset because the couple that was in season one, everyone was like, well, why aren't they in season two? Well, because the way that a lot of romances are written, book one was their story. Book two is now a brother's story, and book three is now going to be a different brother's story. And so um, it's a pretty common convention for, for this genre. But it sounds to me like you're making a point to keep all of the characters in all of the books. Yes, I, I am. And that is partly because I really believe in the power of found family and strong female relationships. And I want to feature that across all three books. So we got to continue to see this relationship that these three women have together across all of the books. And then it's also really fun because these people who are secondary characters that maybe you started thinking, oh, I really like them. Well, you'll get to get to know them better in a future book. You know, I've always been fascinated by snow camping in the winter. What is yeah. that? Is that something you do? Because you live in Colorado. I, I'm based in Michigan. We have lots of snow here. Um but what's what's different about snow camping? Well, one, it's cold, and that is a huge factor. Well, yeah, um, I was thinking why you know, I, and I live in a in a fairly snowy climate, um, and and I think about going and I, and I camp, but never in the in the snow or in the winter, and I think why would anybody do that? that wasn't stranded well you know if you're back <laughs> if you want to do some backcountry skiing that is farther out than you oh, can get i see right so you can go ahead and ski in however many miles on the first day set up a camp and then go ahead and ski whatever your you know an initial destination was come back to camp um i've I have winter camped um, a few different times, mostly in some sort of tent. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I have been in some of the snow caves. I could do that, um, but it's not particularly my preference. It gets a little claustrophobic. Um, so we've mostly done it in tents. And the biggest issues you run into are twofold. We were summiting Mount Baker one year to ski down, hiked up most of it or skinned up because you put skins on your skis and climb with your skis on your feet. And then we camped 
maybe an hour or two from the summit, and it was very windy. So we had to make blocks and build up kind of igloo walls to block the wind from our tents. Mm. And I've also winter camped in a huge snowstorm. And uh, that was, um, we actually had to get out three or four times during the night and get the snow off of our tent so it would not collapse. Wow. So, yeah. And actually, I should, I should correct myself. It was not Mount Baker. That was Mount Adams that we camped on the top. Mount mm. Baker was where I was stuck in a horrible snowstorm and had to keep digging my tent out all night. <laughs> Another phrase that I came across that I was curious about, what is van life? I think I have an idea, but... Well, van life um, is, is what I used to do as a river guide for no money at all, which was go live in a van down by the river. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically, you know, a lot of people have discovered that radically downsizing your life and just, you know, being able to live in a van. I mean, it's been such a common thing in the outdoor industry for years. I've, I've lived in my car. I've lived in my pickup truck. Um, and it lets you save money to go on big adventures and buy gear. You know, it, it's incredibly common. You know, climbers in, in Yosemite live in tents and live in vans and live in their cars. so They can just climb all summer. And uh, we actually own a 1978 VW bus that uh, the longest stint we lived in it was about three and a half months and we were basically driving all over the country whitewater kayaking that summer um so yeah and in fact van life is going to feature in one of my future books uh, not in this series but i do have a plan for a for a van life book well that's pretty uh pretty fascinating so this um this book is uh now, how is is this book different than the novellas? Just because it's longer, or is it just expanding on some work you were already doing? Well, it's definitely different in that it's considerably longer. Um, it's uh, about three times as long as the longest novella. Um, the novellas were skiing based. I set them all at a, a fictional ski resort in Washington State, and. These books are backpacking-focused, so they're very much in the summer. And um, while I always do this to some degree, in Wild at Heart in particular, the book that's just come out, I really uh, I have a couple of great moments where the woman really rescues the man on the trail. She's the more experienced backpacker, and he's the one who doesn't know what he's doing. And they're both out there on solo trips. And uh, he keeps getting himself in trouble, and she keeps having the, depending how you look at it, bad or good luck of, of coming across him and coming to his rescue. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to play with in this book. You know, with the the summer season coming up fast and, and people getting out and doing more outdoor things, especially people who want to get out of the house because they've been closed up, you know, for a couple of years because of COVID. Um, what are some things, if if you're going to be hiking or if you're going to be out uh, camping and, and off the beaten path, if you will, what are some things that, that people should have in a backpack? 
Um, well, you certainly always want what are called the 10 essentials. Um, so you can always Google 10 essentials of hiking. Um, fundamentally, you want map and compass and don't just rely on your phone. Phones die. Signal is lost. Even if you're doing satellite signal, the clouds roll in. Um, you, it's may or may not be to your advantage. These days, most people take some kind of way to get in touch um, with civilization if anything goes wrong. And again, that your cell phone may not work wherever you are. So um, you can certainly take some kind of locator device, an in-reach, a spot, something like that that allows you to text the outside world. You certainly want layers of clothing. You do not want any cotton. Cotton kills um, because cotton sucks heat away from your body when it's wet and it does not dry effectively. Uh, you want to make sure you have food. You want to make sure you have water or a way to filter or purify your water. Um, you know, those are some kind of shelter if you're going to be out overnight. Even if you're not going to be out overnight, depending where you're going, you may want to carry a small emergency shelter with you or a small emergency bivy bag or at the very least a, a little emergency blanket. Um, so those are all kind of basics. And, of course, it's always, always wise to let somebody know where you're going, and when you expect to be out. What's on your agenda for this summer? Do you have some trips planned? You know, um, we've got kind of some ideas for some trips. I've got a few big adventures that I've kind of been eyeballing, but I'm not sure whether they're going to happen this summer or not. Um, I would like to mountain bike a large section of the Colorado Trail this summer, um, we'll likely be kayaking and or rafting some more sections of the Colorado River outside of the Grand Canyon. Um, we sort of started getting the idea that we've already done a few. Maybe we should just start connecting them and try and, like, you know, knock off a, a huge swath of the Colorado River in chunks. Um, so that's a possibility. And uh, I want to do a solo traverse backpack of Rocky Mountain National Park this summer. So that's on my list as well. But I think this is going to be the year of a lot of kind of smaller trips, you know, a week or less uh, adventures, but with some good mileage and, and some good getting way out into the backcountry. Well, it sounds like fun. I um, usually have a single camping trip that I take every year and, and haven't the last couple of years because of COVID. Um, largely because it was at a big music festival, and um, uh. and and they didn't hold it for both years. Um, and and we talked, Sandy and I talked about maybe just going out and camping someplace just to get away, but we didn't we didn't follow up. But I suspect that we'll probably uh, get out and set up the gear this summer. Finally, yeah. Uh, a fair warning, the world of going camping has changed a bit uh, due to COVID. Oh, do tell. Because, oh my goodness, so many more people are camping now. Um, because when we were all, you know, worried about traveling, worried about staying in hotels, nobody really knew, you know, what the risk level was. At least here in Colorado, but from what I've heard, pretty much everywhere in the country, the, the numbers of people camping has just skyrocketed. So if you're thinking about going camping, 
uh, and it's somewhere with reservations um, or somewhere with any kind of designated pay-for campsite, I advise thinking about getting reservations early because even if they didn't used to take reservations, they probably do now. Uh, and if you were planning to do any dispersed camping, you know, outside of a designated camping area just on national forest land or BLM land or, you know, I, I say it this way for people all over the country, um, then uh, get out there early because the campsites go quick right now. It's really been amazing to see the uptick. And on the one hand, it's wonderful because I love seeing more people getting out and enjoying the outdoors. On the other hand, the downsides are it's harder for you to get the campsite that you want, and a lot of the folks going out there don't really know what they're doing. They don't understand leave no trace. Uh, they don't understand why they shouldn't be having a fire, even the fire, even though fire danger is high, or why they shouldn't just leave their garbage sitting on the ground <laughs> when they leave. <laughs> that's, that's a lesson you only have to learn once. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, and I had heard that before about uh, about checking for reservations and and getting reservations as early as possible. From uh, I, I've talked to a couple people about uh, national and state parks from uh, National Geographic. And, oh yeah, and that's um, you know I, I, I think uh, that's that's something everybody's going to have to pay attention to. Um, Stacy, this has been a real pleasure talking with you, and, and the book sounds like a lot of fun, um, as do you and your husband. And, and um, I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a, a website you'd like to share? I do. Uh, you can find me at stacygold.com. It's S-T-A-C-Y-G-O-L-D.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at, at author Stacy Gold. Well, Stacy, thanks so much, and uh, have a great summer. Good luck with the, the book, and I look forward to uh, maybe talking with you about the uh, next ones as they come out. I would love that. I so appreciate you having me on, and I hope you get out and do some lovely camping this summer, Tom. I'm looking forward to it, and I, I, I'll be happy if I can get out on my deck and throw some throw some hot dogs <laughs> on the grill and just just get outside more. Yeah, it, it's always worth it. I, I know for me, just being outside, it makes such a difference to, to my mental, my emotional, and my physical health. So, you know. <laughs> I believe everyone should spend more time outside. Well, Memorial Day is less than a week away, and that's, uh, of course, in, in in my house. That's the official, the unofficial start of summer. Yep, absolutely. I think that's true for most of, most people out there, except us in Colorado. You know, we just keep eking winter along and then suddenly make the switch when the weather changes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Stacy, thanks so much, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Once again, that's uh, outdoor adventure athlete and author Stacy Gold. The new book is Wild at 
heart. We're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. And we'll be back uh, with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, and don't forget tomorrow is Armchair Politics. Each and every Wednesday, two hours of commentary and analysis about headlines in the worlds of uh, politics and current events. Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flip Flip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. 
She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov ag for your connection to consumer protection. Oh, I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One, two, three, four, five. Once again now the boat ashore Hallelujah Michael row the boat ashore keep it rolling Hallelujah Everybody hum Wait a second Dicky Dick we we hum it this I want to go back to the start and take it one more time from the top what? Michael row the boat ashore I just like everybody to join in this time Okay one more time Okay right. gang in a world torn asunder by strife and by unhappiness, what sound in the world enters into our heart and brings love and brotherhood, but the sound of people's voices joining together and singing. So let's roof the rafters, people. Let's fill this room with the most joyous sound known to man. People. People singing. For in the ether of the air, in the great sky of, of, the, of the faraway land, Fill the sky, the musical sky, with voices intertwining themselves in a giant choral arrangement like colors in your mind and lines going up and down as the voices of people join together. So friends, let's fill this room with love. Let's fill this room with music and song. For people driving by, maybe outside, they'll be in their car and we'll be in here singing, they'll be driving by and, and as they drive by they'll probably say, what the hell's going on? Let's sing out now, friends. Michael, row the boat ashore. Sing out. Hallelujah. Michael, row the boat ashore. Hallelujah. Everybody. Wait a second, Dickie, that guy wasn't singing there. 
Which guy? The girl, the guy with the the girl with the blonde hair. You weren't singing very well there. Would you join in with us and fill it? You will. You will. You'll sing with us now, huh? Go ahead. Here we go, gang. Michael rowed the boat ashore. that boat ashore. Come on, Mike. Everybody sing now. Michael, help to trim the sails. Hallelujah. Michael, help to trim the sails. Hallelujah. Everybody hop. Trim those sails. Trim those sails. Pull on those oars, baby. <laughs> hey, I know what let's do again. Now, what do you want to do? Every time we, we, we're humming, you want to do something different? Well, I have an idea that I like. Why don't we, gang, why don't... People with love in your hearts... Are let's all show our love. Let's all open. Let's start the hum. Go back to the. Take it from the top of the hum. Top of the hum. But this time, let's all hum with our mouths open. Well, well why do you want to do that? We we'll get more volume. If well, why we, do you? We have plenty of volume. Why do you want more volume? So that Michael can hear us. Maybe even Ralph will hear us. <laughs> hear us also. So, gang, let's all hum with our mouths open this time and get Tommy, a little more volume. That's a nice idea. Really, that's a great idea. But you so, cannot hum with your mouth open. Yes, you do. All you you have don't to... ask anybody to hum with their mouth open. Yes, all you have you to do... You can't do that. You so... Listen, if you tried to hum with your mouth open, you could hurt yourself. That's too bad. Yeah. So he is. I'll tell you what. If you want more volume, why don't you ask everybody to aw? Oh. I mean, not just a regular ah, oh, but like this. Ah, 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 See, it's louder, it's easy to do, and if you ask everybody in this entire room to awe together in unison to Michael, you will experience a thrilling, exciting, vibrant, it'll be a, a vibrant experience, tremendous. Let's all open up our hummers now and all awe together, okay? Everybody except you. You hum with your mouth open. <laughs> Hear that, Michael? <laughs> we'll help you trim those sails and roll that boat, won't we, gang? Everybody. Michael another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
state has something its Rotary Club can boast of. Some product that the state produces the most of. Rhode Island is little but, oh my, it has a product anyone would buy. Copper comes from Arizona, beaches come from Georgia, and lobsters come from Maine. The wheat fields are the sweet fields of Nebraska, and Kansas gets bonanzas from the grain. Old whiskey comes from old Kentucky. Ain't the country lucky? New Jersey gives us glue. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for tuning in. I want to say thanks to all my guests on the show today, starting with Stacy Gold, outdoor adventure athlete and author of Wild at Heart. Before that, we heard uh, from former journalist and uh, journalism associate professor at uh, Northwestern University, uh, John Marshall talking about his book Clash, Presidents and the Press in Times of Crisis. And we started out this morning talking with uh, William Maz, who uh, is the author of The Bucharest Dossier. That's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with uh, another edition of the Tom Sumner program featuring a candidate for governor and armchair politics. Good night, everybody. It's a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.